And every time we've endeavored to go forward with something, be it a building project, be it a radio station, be it whatever, we've seen opposition. And maybe personally, you're feeling some of that opposition. And if I went up and down the rows here today, you'd say, yep, I'm one of those. Yep, I'm one of those. I'm one of those. It's kind of like the Jewish people here got it from all sides. And you name it, it blew up on them at that time. But is this the end of the story? Does it really end this way? Or is there hope? And is there not something we can learn from this in other verses to help us when things get desperate? And the answer is absolutely yes. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn back to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel and the fourth chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 4. The Lord leads in messages in various ways. Sometimes it's through counseling. You kind of get a cross-section of of what the needs of people are out there. Sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes it's both. And so I'm going to be bringing something, I think, that the church at this point in our church history really needs. And it comes from a chapter here where things get really desperate for the people of God, Israel. And it's against the Philistines, which is a name in the Bible that is synonymous with the snidely whiplash. You know what I mean? Kind of, you boo and you hiss when you hear the Philistines. I think if, if there was one arch enemy that continually keeps popping up against God's people. It's the Philistines along the Mediterranean coast there in that little strip of land that, that really they, they, they fought over for, for ages. And the name Palestine even today actually is not an accurate name for Israel because it means literally land of the Philistines, and it's not. But that's what we call it to this day for some reason. But we find here the Philistines, the archenemy of Israel, once again going to battle with God's people, and it doesn't go well for the Jews. In fact, the Jews get the, the socks whipped off them. And so they have a plan. They go back, they regroup, and they say, you know what? What we need to do is get that ark. It's kind of like a little idol that if they take it into battle, God will have to bless them. And so there they go out to battle with, with the, the sons of, of Eli, the, the wicked sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. And I picture them pulling into camp, carrying this, this ark behind them, and and they're saying, now we got this thing licked here. And of course, Hophni and Phinehas, if you want a bad omen in the camp, it's those guys. As ungodly of preachers and, and prophets as you'll ever find. In fact, I always picture them tiptoeing into camp with their martini and their, their cigarette, you know, and saying, hey, we're here, guys. You know, everything's okay now. But the Jews really got the socks whipped off them this time. And Hophni and Phinehas are killed. And the ark of God is stolen and thousands of soldiers die. It's a horrible day in the history of Israel. But it gets worse. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 4, tidings of this all come back into the presence of Eli, and we pick it up in verse number 16. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. Oh, that's bad. And there hath been also a great slaughter amongst the people, that's worse, and thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. How could it get any worse? And the ark of God is taken. Now just when you think it couldn't get any worse, watch what happens. 
And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he, Eli, fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck brake and he died. For he was an old man and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. Now you think it's as absolutely bad as it can possibly get, right? Wrong. We read on and it says, And his daughter-in-law Phineas, or his daughter-in-law Phineas' wife, was with child near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not! For thou hast borne a son, but she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. I've entitled the message, When Things Get Desperate. (laughs) When Things Get Desperate. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we ask you now, dear Lord, to help us to identify somewhat with that which we'll be looking at here and in other scriptures. And Father, I pray that as we can relate, as we perhaps go through desperate times now, as we think about desperate times we've been through, or no doubt we'll go through, how I pray that we'd remember that which we are going to hear at this hour. And Lord, that you would help us to recall it if necessary, out of our reserve, And I just pray that we would put it to use when that time comes. And Lord, if it's now, may it comfort and encourage and help your people. We pray now and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, there was a group of preachers who were together and talking about their background, their degrees, where they went to Bible college. And one preacher would say, I went to this school, and it's kind of a big-name school. And another one would say, I went to that school, and kind of a school with credibility. And this kind of went back and forth. Well, there was one preacher who hadn't gone to Bible college. And so it comes around to him, and he said, fellas, i got to be honest with you. He said, I went to the school of hard knocks. (laughs) And he said, our school colors were black or blue. Now, maybe you feel like you've been to the school of hard knocks. And the school colors are black and blue, basically. And you're going through it, or you've gone through it. As a church, may I be honest with you right now? If you're not aware of this already, we're going through it, all right? Some of you, you know you're fighting some of those personal battles. You might know your battle in your corner of the the world. I'm as pastor bound to kind of know the bigger picture And we're going through it. There's no doubt the devil is fighting. Anytime you go forward trying to do something like we're trying to do right now, in the training of young people to send them around the world with the gospel, the winning of souls, the starting of churches, you can expect some opposition. So that might look like a nice big building to you over to the east side of the parking lot here. But I'm telling you, the devil absolutely hates it. And every time we've endeavored to go forward with something, be it a building project, be it a radio station, be it a faith for life, be it whatever, we've seen opposition. And maybe personally, you're feeling some of that opposition. And if I went up and down the rows here today, you'd say, yep, I'm one of those. Yep, I'm one of those. I'm one of those. Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What are his devices? And should we be ignorant of those devices? We shouldn't. The devil tries to discourage us. I'll tell you, he tries to beat us down. And and he tries to get us even crossways with other Christians. He, He tries to get us at odds with each other. He tries to get us to be unfaithful. 
And he'll do whatever he can to pull you out of church, to uh, divide your loyalty around the, uh, amongst the things of God. He'll try to get you to stop witnessing, to stop tithing, to stop doing whatever you should be doing, and start doing those things you shouldn't be doing. We can expect that. And maybe you're seeing some of that temptation. You're seeing that opposition, be it at home, be it at school, some of you, be it at work, be it here in the church. But it's been incredible. And it's really been stepped up over these past several weeks. And, and it's kind of like we're getting it from all sides. It's kind of like the Jewish people here got it from all sides. And you name it, it blew up on them at that time. But is this the end of the story? Does it really end this way? Or is there hope? And is there not something we can learn from this and other verses to help us when things get desperate? And the answer is absolutely yes. But first of all, we start by looking at what I call the drastic position. You know, these things start out looking pretty, pretty drastic. And anxiety sets in, and it did here. And as a result, there's this little kid now named Ichabod. How'd you like to be little Ichabod? Oh yeah, he's the one. And he grows up, he's kind of the curse, the bad omen, the the reminder of that fateful day, that horrible day in Israel's history when everything fell apart. They lost the ark. The sons of the priest died. The priest himself died. The daughter-in-law died. I mean, everything went wrong. And the Philistines were in their glory. It was a banner day for them, but a horrible day for God's people. And maybe you're going through not just a horrible day, but a horrible season in your life. And you're in a drastic position. And you say, could it get any worse? You know, you're not alone. As you read the Bible, it really reads like who's who. When you consider those who really had their backs to the wall and wondered, this is not good. I think of old Jacob. Now, in Jacob's case, what came down on him, eh, he had it coming, didn't he? Uh, The name means surplanter, and he was a schemer. He was always pulling a fast one. And we find out that finally the chickens came home to roost, and he got beat out of a deal, and then another deal, and finally he serves Laban for 20 years, and he, he hightails it out in the middle of the night, out of town. He gets away. He gets nearly killed when Laban catches up to him. That's another story. But from there, he meets up with somebody who said, the next time I see Jacob, I'll kill him! And it's his brother Esau, twin brother Esau. And so he, he gets news that Esau's coming to meet him. But not just Esau. 400 men. 400 men? So he's sweating bullets and he's praying through the night and he's wrestling with an angel and he's just doing everything he can to get a hold of God because now he's in a drastic position. You know, we could talk about Joseph. Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, the second to the, the youngest, actually went through it. And, and he didn't really earn it like his dad did. I mean, Joseph was trying to do what was right. His brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. He's bought on the auction block by by Potiphar, and things are looking better. Potiphar, uh, he elevates him and promotes him to the head of his household until Joseph is lied about by a seductive wife. And now he's in prison, and things are rotten there, but he works his way up again. And he gets really, if you can, to the top of the class in prison... And these two guys come in. He interprets their dream for them. You're familiar with the story. And there's a ray of hope. He says, when you guys get out of here, at least one of you, would you let Pharaoh know I'm here and I shouldn't be here? But the guy doesn't. Doesn't want to make waves with Pharaoh. He just barely got his head spared that time. And so he keeps his mouth shut. And Joseph languishes in this jail for how, however longer until finally get, God gets him out of there. But we could, we could read through the Bible. We could talk about those who are good men, good people. Boy, they went through it. 
Moses was a good man. I think of the heroes of the Jews in the New Testament, the name that keeps coming up is Moses. Amongst the Jewish people, that had to be the man, you know. But you can talk about Moses now and how it all turned out, but think about what he went through at the time. The whining, the grumbling, the complaining, the backstabbing, his own sister, his own brother turning on him, Korah turning on him, all these guys. I mean, he's doing a job he didn't want in the first place. All these people are giving him a hard time. It was a drastic position. How about Mordecai? Mordecai, that Jew who was faithful and, and wouldn't bow to a, a wicked man and, and, and wouldn't uh, uh, idolize this, this wicked guy just standing for God. And now he's not only going to be hung by the gallows, but he's going to wipe out his whole nation and his back's to the wall. How about Job? Good night. There's a guy who lost everything. His health, his wealth, his, his kids, his wife's loyalty. I mean, lost it all. And his back was to the wall. How about David? David was in a drastic position when really his world came crumbling down on him, mostly self-inflicted, and now driven out of town by his own son. You dads here, I want you to think about your son rising up against you and causing you to have to leave town in his treasonous ways. That'd be awful. I mean, I don't think it could get any worse than that. And David found himself in a drastic position. And then there was Peter as we move over to the New Testament. Peter, a man who said, Lord, these other losers might deny you, but never me. And there he is denying his Lord, just spitting it out. And later, crying his eyes out over in the shadows of Caiaphas' house. Can't believe what he did. He, he betrayed his best friend. What a drastic position he's in. I'm telling you, the Bible, folks, is full of raw emotion of people just like us who really found themselves in a very drastic position. And God wrote these stories. The Bible says these things were written for our samples, right? And so we can look and we can relate. And here we are in the 21st century and we can experience these drastic positions. It's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. There's some in the Bible that got so desperate they even desired death. You know that Moses said to God, I've had enough. Just, just kill me, okay? <laughs> you ever felt like that? I want out of here. That's what Elijah said. Lord, it's enough. Just, just, just kill me. Job desired death. In fact, Job wished he'd have never been born. That's how drastic it got for him. Jeremiah wanted to die. Jonah said, kill me. I mean, it, these are great men. These are prophets of God. And here they are suicidal in their, their thoughts. Others even found death through suicide, like Samson, uh, King Saul, and of course Judas and others. But these are people that hit rock bottom. Drastic position. There they are. Nowhere to look. Ernest Hemingway was a, a famous author many years ago. Actually, uh, covered two wars. Fought in the, in the first one, World War I. Covered the second one as a journalist. And he went on and he, he won a Pulitzer Prize and a Nobel Prize, both in literature. And you would think, here's a guy who had the world by the tail, but he committed suicide. And he said before he died, and I quote, he said, life is a dirty trick. He said, it's a journey from nothingness to nothingness. And he said, life in this universe, for us as people, is like a colony of ants living on a burning log. Of course, having that gift of prose and, and grammar and so on and so forth, he put it so eloquently, but basically saying it stinks. I wish I had never been born. Now, I hope you don't have that attitude, but there are going to be times in life where you find yourself in a drastic position. And, and, and it's a sad analysis. It really is. 
But after that drastic position, we see, secondly, a dismal perspective. (laughs) You say, I was hoping for the good point, Pastor. Well, we'll get to that. But when you're in that drastic position here, things look bleak. And you have all this stuff coming down on you, and you don't need anything else. Maybe you're struggling against schedules, deadlines. Tell me about it. They just never end, do they? Maybe it's something else. Maybe you're just weary. I don't know. Look in in Job chapter 7, if you would. I think Job was, was... I think facing it all, but just weary of the whole thing. And you talk about setbacks, you couldn't, you couldn't get set back any further than Job had been. And notice what he says here in Job 7 and in verse number 6. He says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind, mine eyes shall no more see good. He talks about life just flying by, swifter than a weaver's shuttle. We'd say a sewing machine today. But he says, he says, and are spent without hope. Without hope. Oh, those are sad words, aren't they? Look in Lamentation, if you would. Chapter 3. You'll have to find the book of Jeremiah, who wrote the book of Lamentations as a prophet. And the very name of the book, Lamentations, really says it all. It's a book of lamenting. Because Jeremiah, for years and years and years, had warned God's people to repent or perish, and they just didn't listen, much like the U.S. today. They just blew off all those warnings until finally it all came crashing down on them. And he's lamenting through all these chapters here. It's a a dismal perspective. And notice in Lamentations 3 and in verse number 18, he goes, And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Now, that's bad when you lose hope even in God. He says, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. What is it today that has you in a dismal perspective? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children. That can be a burden, can it? That can be a weight. That can be a yoke. And some of you may have broken hearts here even over your unsaved children. Whatever it is, it leaves you in a dismal perspective. In Ezekiel 37.11, it says, The whole house of Israel, behold, they say, Our bones are dried and our hope is lost. That's bad. Bones are dried. Hope is lost. Maybe it's financial. Maybe your back's to the wall financially. Maybe you've experienced the financial reversal. Maybe it's job-related. And the thought of you going to that job and working that job for decades in the future is more than you can even think about. Maybe it's your education. Some of you are in school. And you say, this is just not working out. In Acts chapter 27, things look pretty bleak. And we won't turn there, but the, the apostle was looking at a shipwreck. And in Acts twenty-seven twenty, it says, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest, that storm, lay on us, Luke says, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Notice, all hope. All hope taken away. Does it ever seem just absolutely hopeless? Uh, It might be the house. It it might be the upkeep of the house. It might be the upkeep of the car. It's nickel and diming you to death. I was with my son, wherever he is, this past week, and and his tranny went out on him. Don't you love when that happens? And now you're looking at, you know, whatever. And, And these things break down, and this stuff happens, and it seems like it never ends. So you see a a drastic position, you see a dismal perspective. But thirdly, let's talk about a decisive perseverance. 
That's the, the pivotal point. When you're in that valley, you have a choice to make. And it's got to be a decision you need to make. Notice in Psalm chapter 30, if you will write it out and trust God and hang in there, what will God do? Well, let me just say, when, when these things come crashing in on us, when really things get desperate, sometimes there is a delay. Uh, before the light shines again, before the sun rises again, there's kind of a delay sometimes. And I think of some of you, and you've been praying for loved ones for ages. I, I've been there, done that, still doing that. But what a blessing it is when you pray and you pray and you pray for decades, and then what do you know? One of them gets saved. Then another one gets saved. And then another one gets saved. And you go, praise the Lord for this. You know, the Bible talks about here in, in Psalm 30, weeping, enduring for the night. Notice in verse 5, it says, For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Notice, weeping may endure for a night. And maybe that's where you're at right now. You're going through it. You have a trial in your life. But I love this part of the verse. But joy cometh in the morning. There's that delay sometimes. And you go through that night. But you've got to persevere. Look while you're in the Psalms in chapter 126, if you would. This is a verse a little bit off subject, but it really gets the point across about that delayed answer and the blessing that seems like it's never going to come and the, 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 the weeping during the night, but the joy that shows up the next morning. Notice here in Psalm 126 and in verse number 5, it says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I love that word doubtless there. That's a promise from God. One of many, one of thousands in the Bible, one that we can embrace and claim and say, this is mine. But notice verse 5, they that sow in tears shall. It doesn't say might or could or possibly, maybe. It says shall reap in joy. What a blessing that is to know. But sometimes there's a delay. Hang in there. Persevere. Make a decision that you're not going to quit. Look in Psalm 147, if you would. Is there something going on in your life that is really breaking your heart? Is there, is there someone in your life that is currently a thorn in your side? You know, I've often said it's not things so much as people. Uh, the biggest pain seems to be people, isn't it? And no doubt there's some person that if you're, if you're struggling, uh, they're giving you a hard time. Uh, maybe they're defaming you. Maybe they're poisoning the minds of others about you. Get in the ministry, it just goes on all the time. The devil absolutely never quits. So what do we do? Psalm 147, notice in verse number 6. It says, The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Now I'm not going to gloat over the last part of that verse, but it's kind of nice to know, isn't it? He casteth the wicked down to the ground. So you've got somebody who's being a thorn in your side. You've got a God, you've got a Heavenly Father who's observing that, and notice, he's going to lift up the meek, but he's going to cast the wicked down to the ground. Hang in there. Hang in there. We read in Revelation 3.21, the Lord says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. If anyone went through it, it was the Lord. But he overcame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father, well, he tells us to him that overcometh, and I love that word, will I grant to sit with me in my 
throne. That's a promise from the Lord. Hang in there. The Duke of Wellington is famous over in England. The Duke of Wellington, uh, in fact, I've been to the, the Apsi House, uh, Apley House, actually. It's called twice over there in London. And he was quite a guy, he really was. And best known for the fact that he fought against Napoleon at Waterloo and won. And I've told stories about this before, but, but when it came down to winning the battle, they asked him, they said, well, Mr. Uh, Wellington, Duke of Wellington, he's, they said, were your men braver than Napoleon's? He said, no, Napoleon's men were very, very brave, just as brave as my men. He said, my men, though, however, were braver five minutes longer. That's all. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Sometimes it's just five minutes longer. Hang in there. It's the difference between success or failure. Gentleman Jim Corbett was a, a boxer back in the late, late 1800s. Richard would remember him, but uh, the most of us here probably wouldn't. But uh, he was the champ, the heavyweight champ of the world for five years running. And he said something that I thought was pretty good. He said, when your feet are so tired that all you can do is shuffle out into the middle of the ring again, he said, fight one more round. And he said, if your arms are so heavy you can hardly lift them, get out there and fight one more round. And he said, if your nose is bleeding and your eyes are black and blue, fight one more round. And he said, when you wish your opponent would just crack you in the jaw and get it over with and knock you out cold, he said, fight one more round. And then he added, the man who fights one more round is never whipped. And that's true. Fight one more round. My Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Bless old Ira Sankey, who, who wrote that great old song, faith is the victory. He took it from this verse. The Bible says, for whatsoever is born of God. Now, that, that means simply saved, born again. Have you been saved? Well, we have a promise here again. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Praise God for that. There was a father who had a son who was, was really uh, timid and thinking of, of uh, quitting some kind of a team that he was on, and, and the father was trying to encourage him, don't give up, son. And the son said, I can't keep going, I can't. And his dad said, look, son, keep going, keep going. The names of the great men of the past that we remember are those who kept on going. He said, we remember Robert Fulton because while others mocked him, he kept on going and, and came up with the steamship. And we remember the likes of Thomas Edison. Uh, while others were mocking him, he was inventing hundreds of things. And we remember the likes of Eli Whitney. While others were saying it can't be done, he was inventing that, that, that cotton gin. And he said, then there's Samuel McPringle. And the son said, who's, who's Samuel McPringle? His dad said, he quit. See, that's why you don't remember his name. Amen. Who is Samuel McPringle? We'll never know. If you quit, you'll never know. Henry Ford blew it when he invented the first car, made the first car. He forgot to put reverse in it. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, life is a series of setbacks. That's good. Life is a series of setbacks. The only time we don't fail, and I'm quoting, is that last time when we see it actually work. So we keep on going until it works. Because life is a series of setbacks. Look in Philippians chapter 4. If anyone knew that to be true, I would guess it's the Apostle Paul. You know, we could look at his resume over there, and it's actually written in a couple of places, 2 Corinthians and so on, and you, you see all these things that he went through. 
I mean, one heartache after another, one setback after another, one failure after another, over and over and over again. By the way, as we come up on 25 years of ministry here as, as a church here, it's been a string of setbacks. It's been a string of letdowns. You say, what do you do? You keep going. What else can you do? <laughs> Bottom line, you know, there's a preacher I know, and, and he talked about the ministry and the roller coaster effect of it, how it goes up and down and so on. And he said, I promise God never to quit when I'm in the valley, when I'm ever on the, the downside. He said, I promise God if I'm ever going to quit, he said, I'd only do it if, if, when I'm on the top side. He said, you know what happened? He said, when I was on the downside, I promised God I wouldn't quit. He said, when I was on the top side, I didn't want to quit. And he went through decades of ministry that way. You know, this would be a good idea right there. When you're on the downside, don't make any decision, really. No, no major decision. Don't make a, a decision with a broken decision maker. When you're on the downside, your decision maker is broken. You say, well, what do I do? Borrow somebody's that's working at the time, all right? But don't make a dumb decision. I've seen people make foolish decision after the foolish decision when they're on the downside. Don't do that. And don't quit when you're on the downside. Make a major decision like that when you're on the top side. Chances are, you won't want to then. You'll be having so much fun, you want to just keep on going, amen? Paul kept on going. I think he determined never to make a decision with a broken decision maker and never to quit. We find a decisive perseverance, and it's found here in Philippians 4. Notice in verses 12 and 13, he says, I know both how to be abased. We get our word basement from that. That simply means on the downside. Low. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he gave us this great Proclamation in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That truth, that promise, that fact strengthened Paul. And he said, I can do all things. And he's not bragging because he adds through Christ. Without Christ, Christ, Christ says in John 15, we're nothing. And we are nothing. But with Christ, we can do all things. So we see that decisive perseverance. And then finally, we see that delivering prospect. That delivering prospect. There is hope in Christ. I have a plaque that says this too shall pass. I take it out and I look at it every so often. That's just a good reminder. That's good to know. Whatever it might be, this too shall pass. Now the bottom line is, you've made it this far, right? Has the Lord let you down? He hasn't let you down. You might even think He has. He has, and I promise you. All things work together for good to them that love God. That's the promise we have. There's a family sitting in this, this sanctuary right now. I've known them for over 20 years. And they've been through one hard time after another. And they've kept going. And God's brought them this far. You know, we have the crazy idea, God, you've done it up to now. I wonder if you're going to do it in the future. That's really insane, isn't it? We ought to say, God, you've done it up to now. You're certainly going to do it in the future. And He will. He will. Look in Titus chapter 2, if you would going forward from where you're at. I, I like the Bible for many reasons, but one reason is it's a book of hope. It's a great book of hope. Christianity is a faith of hope. You know, these other religions, they don't, they don't have that hope. My hope is not in reincarnation, folks. My, my hope is not in ushering in some kind of a utopia. Oh, hooray, you know. My hope is not living on this earth, you know. My hope, well, 
I'll I'll tell you where it is here. In Titus 2, notice in verse 13. Let the Bible answer for me. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice, looking for that blessed hope. What is it? It's the second coming of Christ. It tells us, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I like that verse. I love verses that, that proclaim the deity of Christ. Notice the great God and our Savior. They're one and the same. Jesus Christ is God. But notice it mentions that blessed hope. Do you live in hope? You say, well, preacher, seeing is believing. No, it isn't. We read in Romans 8.24, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? If we can see it, it's no big deal. The worse it looks, the greater faith it takes the greater hope we can have. And so we hang on to hope. What is hope? Well, Webster defines hope as expectation. That's good. Anticipation. That's accurate. Optimism. It's confidence. It's a dream. It's, it's a, something that's perspective. It's a prospect. Really, that's what it is. Look in Colossians, turning back again to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Back on March 5th, 1981, I called upon the Lord. He saved me. It was all His doing by His grace. I love Him for what He did. I marvel at it. It's, it's a miracle any time somebody gets saved. And, it, and I relived it all over again this past Friday night as I talked to somebody who had, who had been saved a matter of an hour, maybe, or two at that time. It, it really is a miracle. What happens at salvation is Christ takes up residence within us. And we read this glorious verse here in Colossians 1. Notice, if, if you would, with me, verse 27. It, it says, speaking of Christ, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Now, when we use the word hope, we say, well, I hope it'll happen. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe so, guess so, hope so kind of thing. That's not the hope of the Bible at all. The, the four-letter word hope in the Bible, when you use that word hope, it's concrete. It's a, a sure promise, an ironclad promise. It's going to happen. So it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that hope of heaven. It's a sure deal. We find out if the Lord is in you, you have this hope. If you have the Lord, you always have hope. We read in 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, it says, God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our So simple. Another verse on deity of Christ. But it mentions that's our hope. God is our hope. Christ is our hope. So don't quit. Don't get in the flesh. Don't say something you shouldn't say. Don't do something you shouldn't do. Don't get out of God's will. Don't get bitter. Don't get crossways. And don't give up. Plain and simple. There was a uh, fellow that I've known for years. He's passed on now. But something tragic took place before he died. His son actually died. His son committed suicide. And he said, I did everything when my son was suicidal to try and encourage him. That's not the answer. That's not the answer, son. And, and he said, I gave him all kinds of analogies and illustrations and, and paradoxes and comparisons. And, and, and he said, I, I, I said, son. And, and this fellow, not from town here, but from the state, he said, you know, son, sometimes life is like a storm in North Dakota. And you're out there and you're in the highway and you're driving through it and you're saying, this is bad. 
but you can't turn back and you can't turn this way or that way. And, and he said, you just keep on going. And he said, in time, you come out of it. And really, that's true. You'll come out of it in time. And your best bet normally, folks, is forward. I'm not saying always, but most of the time, it's forward. We find a story over in 2 Kings, and, and there's four lepers sitting outside the city gate of Jerusalem. The city is besieged. The Syrians are, aren't letting any food in, and people inside are starving to death. And so these lepers are hanging out. Nobody wants them. They don't want them inside. Syrians don't want to mess with them. And so they're sitting there starving to death, and they're saying, you know, if we go in the city, there's nothing there. If we stay here, we're, we're dead. So why don't we just go try and see what happens? We'll just, hey, walk into the camp of the Syrians. We surrender. Maybe they'll throw some crust to us or something, but let's give it a try. And they went forward, and of course, you know the rest of the story. Syrians had fled, and they lived like kings and all that food there and had themselves a big old time. Your best bet is normally forward. Look in First Peter chapter 1. If you've been born again, there are some wonderful promises in the Bible that even if you're going through that storm now, God will see you through it, and there is an outcome later on that God has for you if you just write it out. In 1 Peter chapter 1, if you've been born again, uh, notice in verse number 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice the expression, begotten us again, Christ called it born again in John 3, but it's talking about this salvation that brings us to this lively, this living hope after salvation. Notice verse 13. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober in hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In my Bible, I've underlined four words in that verse. Hope to the end. Hope to the end. Just says it all. Just hope to the end. It says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. It's, it's like, pick up the pants of your mind. It's in a sense talking about, uh, you know, just girding up those loins of your mind, being sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are better days ahead, folks. There really are. It's, it's not as bad. It's not as bleak as it looks. You and I need to write it out. Really, our best bet is forward. Many of us are familiar with a place called Death Valley. Some of you may, you may have driven through it. It's kind of the Sierra Nevada area there. It's 3.3 million acres. And there it is in kind of the, the southeastern part of uh, California. And it's a hot place. It's the hottest place in North America. They have recorded temperatures there up to 134 degrees, if you can imagine that. A number of years ago, there was a fellow by the name of Arnold Dobson traveling with a fellow by the name of Arnold Most and his son, Arnold Jr., they were going through Death Valley and their car broke down. These were the days where it might be a day or two until somebody else came along. And there they were broke down out in that heat and they waited it out in that car and tried to find shade on one side or the other and, and uh, nobody was coming. And, and finally, they said, we got to go back to the last house we saw. It was about 30 miles back. And so they set out there on foot trying to make their way back to that house they had seen and and one of them made it seven miles, and he collapsed. The other two went on. It was, it was Harold Most and his son. And the dad, Harold Sr., made it to the 14-mile mark, and he was done. And, and Harold Jr., the youngest and the, the best shape, 
went to the 17-mile marker. And the, 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 the deputy later on, a red langergram, he said they looked like a, a, a black line through the desert there. By the time the sun got done charring their bodies, they had turned them black, basically. And he said the, the most tragic thing of all is if they would have just gone forward and gone one more mile in the direction they were heading, there was a grove of willows and a natural spring that was there, and they could have survived it easily. I'm not saying it's always best to go forward. In fact, if you've got no peace about the capacity you're currently serving the Lord at, maybe find something different. But if you are currently serving the Lord in some capacity, keep faithful. Go forward. Don't quit. When things get desperate, and they were back there in our text. I mean, they lost the ark. And they lost Eli. And they lost his boys. And they lost his daughter-in-law. And they lost the battle. And they lost thousands of men. And it really, really looked bleak. If we were to read on there, they made a comeback. Israel under Saul and later on David, and then eventually Solomon became a world power. The Philistines were as nothing at that point. When things get desperate, don't quit. Keep on keeping on. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.